Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Marshall Lichty, and this is episode 221 of The Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're doing our annual State of the Legal Profession podcast with ABA President Bob Carlson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, Arog, Ruby Receptionists, and Alert Communications. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So we've been talking about Lab lately because we're excited to launch Lab 2.0 on May 1st because you can get the Lab 1.0 pricing for a few days longer and because we're expanding the team. Welcome to the community team, Marshall. We're expanding the team. I'm joining (laughs) the Insider and Lab and community team and I'm super excited about it. Yeah, Marshall is going to be helping Stephanie out with Lab, with planning LabCon, with moderating the Insider group on Facebook, with coaching the Labsters. That's what we call people who are in Lab. We call them Labsters. I'm not sure we really have spread that very much. Yeah, we haven't we haven't <laughs> tracked down the trademark for that one yet because yeah. it might still be uh, open to some amendment. It helps if you say it with a Boston accent and then they're Labsters. Labsters. <laughs> So, so welcome, Marshall. Hey, thanks. I'm super excited about it. And you actually got an email from me or insiders got an email from me this morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will still be doing editor in chief things, but uh, I've added some capacity and I'm really excited to build on some of the things that have been most exciting to me in my career, which is spending time helping people doing things better. And I can do that in writing now as the editor-in-chief, but also in person in coaching and mastermind calls because Lab is growing and Stephanie's built an incredible community populated with many of you on this podcast. And we just want to make sure that we're providing as much support and kind of game-changing and thought-provoking ideas to make your practices better. For those of you who haven't met Marshall, apart from maybe hearing him on the podcast... Marshall is the kind of person who will make an impression on you. He is a people person. He is a great coach and mentor, and he's a perfect fit for the community team because he's the kind of person who can make other people be better. So ah, I love that, Sam. Thank you. Now <laughs> Just I'm, trying to make him blush here. Now I'm blushing, and <laughs> now I have cheeks made for radio. So today's podcast is the second annual State of the Legal Profession episode we've done. Last year, I talked with Hillary Bass, and this year, I got to sit down with her successor, Bob Carlson, to reflect on what we learned from Hillary, to see where the profession and the ABA are now, and extract some predictions from Bob about the future. So we'll dive into that right after my brief sponsored conversation with Tom Ball from Alert Communications. My name is Tom Ball. I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing at Alert Communications here in Camarillo, California. We are a legal-only call center that has been in business since 1965, focusing on intake and retainer services for law firms. Very cool. Thanks for being with us, Tom. So you, being Alert Communications, have put together a client intake scorecard to help lawyers sort of take another look at their client intake process. What are some of the takeaways for lawyers that you could convey to our listeners that they could start rethinking their own client intake process? Well, I think the first thing to look at is lead capturing, which means that every lead should be capturing, which really requires proper staffing. So successful lead capturing entails the necessary forms, the tools, staffing during the the right time periods, because leads for law firms come in at all times of the day, not just one part of the day, Mm -hmm. and more to support the lead generation campaigns and efforts. So when they're spending money on marketing, to make sure that those marketing leads stay with the law firm and don't go to other law firms because they don't respond in a timely manner. 
So you're talking about making sure that the phone always gets answered, that the emails always get responded to at the time when the client is contacting the firm. Correct. It's immediate response, immediate live response. That also includes web forms. So with web forms too, you also want to have immediate response to those, which generally means you look at the web form when it comes in real time and you are going to be responding back to those as well. But lead capturing means that you actually communicate in the proper manner back to them, which means that if they correspond by a web form, you may have to communicate back to them by an email or you may have to communicate back to them by text if it's later at night versus just a phone call because your phone call could fail. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll give you the stats. After doing millions of intakes per year that we did, we measured if we immediately outbound call web leads, we only get those people on the phone 40% of the time on the very first call. Hmm. So it's important that you communicate not just by email, but also by texting and email and be able to correspond with them to set up a time to talk to them and then at a later time. Um, but give them another way to communicate, which is so popular these days, whether which is electronic communication as well. I assume the idea here is that if you have actually communicated in two ways, you've connected with that potential client, now they're basically yours until they decide whether or not to hire you. And so you need to make that connection early and quickly so that you don't lose them. Uh, correct. And also what you're trying to do is stopping them from shopping. So if they're reaching out to you first, if you look at it from the perspective of new client's viewpoint, they just want to be taken care of. And if they send in a web form, let's say, at 11 o'clock on Friday night, because let's say they were an injured in an auto accident, you want to make sure that even if you don't get them on the phone call at that time, that you respond back to them by text or email to say, hey, we are interested in talking to you. So they know you're interested in talking to you before they actually go out to other law firms. If you do that, they didn't generally stop shopping. Hmm. What's important to measure in the intake process? Well, you have to really measure if you have the ability to do it, mm-hmm. so, or if you you have to outsource to make sure these things get taken care of. You really have to have an honest evaluation about that, meaning that if I'm staffed correctly, which is the next part of what we're talking about, um, how am I staffed and how strong is my staff during the day? Are they multitasking or are they dedicated to intake? So usually when law firms are the weakest is when they first arrive in the morning around the lunchtime and before they get ready to leave in the afternoon. Sometimes basically that time or if they're preparing for trial or another case and they're multitasking. So you have to look at with that being covered, is that all covered where people have a way to call into a law firm and get the phone picked up within immediately uh, in a good time? And it may or may not be there. And if so, then they could supplement that with overflow services that could take that form and they could outsource those services to take care of that. What other kinds of follow-up should firms be thinking about doing as part of the intake process? Follow-up is super critical. So that 40% number I told you about before, we actually have a system in place that actually, you know, just called smart lead tracking. But what it is basically is they need to be able to measure and follow up everything. So if you opt down call somebody and you only get them 40% of the time and then you text them and email them, and then you do multiple attempts to get them on the phone with follow-up. You will get that 40% contact rate up to about 80% contact rate. Oh, wow. Yeah. So following up also during the evening and weekends is super critical. And being staffed properly to be able to do that because that's when a lot of times people are available. They're working during the day. They're busy during the day. They're dealing with family and kids and work, all of that during the day. But at 6 o'clock, they calm down and can take these calls as well as the weekends. Hmm. So listeners, if you're interested in learning more about how alert communications can help keep you staffed properly and track and measure, and if you're interested in learning more about how your client intake process could be improved, visit alertcommunications.com slash lawyerist podcast. You'll find there a client intake scorecard that you can download to help you evaluate your client intake process. And you'll find that link in our show notes, of course. Tom, thanks so much. Thank you. I'm 
Bob Carlson. I'm from Butte, Montana, and I'm the president of the American Bar Association. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being with us. So one of my first questions is, you're from Montana. Does being the president of the ABA mean that you have to move to Chicago for the year? It does not. I still have an office and a house in Montana, and uh, I do travel around quite a bit around the country and sometimes out of the country on behalf of the ABA, but uh, I still get to go home every now and then. <laughs> when we had Hillary Bass on last year for what I hope is becoming an annual tradition of having the current ABA president on, she talked about some of her international travel on behalf of the ABA. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. When you travel internationally for the ABA, what are you doing and what's going on there? Well, it depends. There are certain trips that are tradition for an ABA president to attend to uh, main our relationships with other bars associations from other countries, like the opening of the legal year in London or the opening of the Paris bar year. But mm -hmm. we also try to concentrate on areas where our rule of law initiative, or we call it ROLI, has offices or has an initiative or a mission that's uh, to help another country or to help a judiciary or uh, a bar association in another country to uh, develop rules. So sometimes we have targeted trips where we either bring other lawyers with us to have a lawyer to lawyer or court to court exchange or actually meet with leaders of bar associations, maybe the Supreme Court, sometimes government officials to assist them in uh, developing a rule of law and an independent judiciary in their country. Very cool. How many international trips have you had already? I think I've uh, lost count? <laughs> traveled out of the country this year as president, uh, probably a little less than Hillary did. It's a little more complicated coming from Montana. Yeah. So probably about five or six times and probably at least one or two more that will be coming up in the future. So I'm curious, we've talked just a bit about being an ABA president. We'll talk more about it. But I'm curious about your actual practice. What does it look like and what does your firm look like? Well, our firm has three lawyers. And uh, it's a general practice firm. We have a person that does uh, local business, transactional stuff, tax work for local businesses. And then my partner and I that do uh, mostly litigation, uh, we also represent uh, everyday folks who get sued. We're generally hired by an insurance company to do that. And I do products liability defense work for companies who get sued in Montana and uh, also represent professionals who uh, get sued, and it can be uh, insurance salesmen, architects, accountants, medical folks, and do some insurance coverage uh, analysis. I also do some uh, mediation work oh, okay. as well. So you said three lawyers. How big is the firm overall? Yeah, so we have four or five support staff. Very cool. A nice size, small firm. Very nice. Yes. You're our people. <laughs> yep. So I have to tell you, though, I went looking for a website and I couldn't find one. Am I, am I right about that? We've had one and we had an issue with it. We were trying to redo it. But since I've been doing the ABA uh, president-elect and president work, I haven't had much time to devote distracted. to that. <laughs> <laughs> and my partner, as you might imagine, is uh, trying to cover all the bases sure. uh, while I'm gone. So, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but this is you are leading the ABA at a time of technological and innovative change. Does it yep. feel weird to you? I, I mean, I, my assumption, and maybe this is inaccurate, but my assumption from the fact that you don't have a website currently, maybe, 
is that your firm is not particularly technologically oriented. And so I'm wondering if it feels weird to you to be leading the ABA at a time like this. Well, I don't know that I'd agree with you that our firm isn't technologically oriented. Okay. Uh, the fact of having a website or not having a website, I spend a lot of my time in planes, trains, automobiles, and hotel rooms where if I didn't have technology, uh, either uh, uh, Surface or my iPhone or any one of the other apps or programs that I use on those devices, I wouldn't be able to do this hmm. and still at least maintain some work with my law firm. And uh, so my partner does the same thing. We travel extensive amounts. So the website thing, I don't think they're directly connected to whether you're technology-based firm. Fair enough. So you feel like you're pretty plugged into where the profession is or where it needs to go? Well, I hope I am. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's only one way to answer that when you're the ABA president. Yes. We, we spoke briefly about this when we were preparing for the podcast beforehand, but I asked you if you had come in with kind of a signature issue, as many bar presidents do, and you said no. So tell us more about that. Well, uh, Hillary and I had talked about, my predecessor talked about this over the last, over the course of last year and, and had formulated this idea that we needed to treat our leadership and the leadership going forward, hopefully, as more like a relay race. And instead of having a one and done initiative that we would continue things uh, that had been ongoing or had start been started in the previous years. And so for me, it was easy because my immediate predecessors had been doing things that interested me and that I thought were important to the profession. They include uh, lawyer well-being and wellness. Uh, they include our efforts in pro bono, and particularly since we've had so many natural disasters over the past uh, two years, uh, pro bono surrounding uh, assisting people who have been the victims of disaster. Uh, they also included the fact that I'm from a, so, a small firm, uh, the ABA blueprint that was started uh, by Hillary's predecessor. Mm -hmm. That's a tool designed to assist solo and small firms in getting the technology assistance they need, plus getting some assistance on substance-based practice as part of your membership dues. And so those things we've been able to try to continue. Of course, there's also issues surrounding immigration and, and what's happening in the immigration space. It feels like there's plenty to do without having a signature issue. <laughs> there is plenty to do. And of course, uh, this year and last, we've been sort of reorganizing and restructuring the association and creating a new membership model. So yeah. there was plenty to do without trying to start something new. And I came from the presidency of the state bar where we had a, a four or five year plan that we each officer just sort of kept moving uh, the plan around and we tinkered with the plan as we move forward. So it was, oh, so that's not uncommon easy to you. have that yeah. mindset. No. I mean, that's interesting because I, I have heard some people complain that, you know, every time a new president takes over a bar association, there's a bit of whiplash where the, you know, the old president maybe was focused on diversity and inclusion and the new president wants to focus on technology initiatives and everybody has to you know, change roles. And that's frustrating because you can't get a whole lot done in a year. But it sounds like for you, multi-year initiatives that are shared responsibilities is the way to do it. And it seems like a smart way to do it. So, Well, hopefully this will catch on because uh, I think it's important to make sure that we are continuing to have a consistent sense that we're leading the association and the profession forward. Uh, it's not about the individual who happens to be the president. It's about the overall mission. I like that. So our listeners 
currently have sitting on their desks or in their inboxes their ABA dues invoice, or if they're a prospective member or a lapsed member, they probably have a prompt to rejoin because this is coming out just the same week that the, the new invoices for the coming year are coming out, and they're very different than they have been. So maybe you could give us the overview of the new membership dues structure, and then we'll take a break to hear from sponsors, and then we can try and put that whole thing in context. So what's the what's the overview of the new dues? Okay, so first I'll start with the membership model itself. We are going to launch a new set of benefits for your base membership dollars. We'll begin rolling out more personalized content based on member preferences, working on better communications, and of course, streamlined dues. The new product offerings are designed to help lawyers at every stage of their career to build their practice and to achieve greater success and also provide them with the technology so that they can assist more people. We are trying to make sure that we target and curate our email to meet the preferences of the lawyers who are our members and we're allowing them to set preferences. We're also trying to send them if they sign up for a conference with the litigation section, we'll probably over the course of the next few weeks send them another email suggesting they might we've noticed you purchased this, you might want to consider this, or people who did this did that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also uh, changing the, simplifying the due structure to make it so the first four years of practice, the admission will be $75. From five to nine, it'll be 150. If you're a government attorney, a judge, a public interest lawyer, or from a firm of five or less, or a retired attorney, it'll be $150, regardless of the number of years in practice. And then it goes uh, 10 to 14, 250, 15 to 19, $350, and 20 plus, 450. So over the course, you're going to get more benefits for your money. So everybody is going to save, and most categories have had their dues uh, at least reduced significantly or slightly. We're also providing free uh, access to membership in our law practice division and mm -hmm. our general practice and solo and small firm division and providing access to significant content for free from our Center for Professional Responsibility. Additionally, each one of our substantive sections has agreed to provide somewhere between two to five pieces of top-notch, first-run quality content, uh, articles, podcasts, etc., for anybody. So it's sort of a taste of the ABA, if you will. Gotcha. So it's sort of, uh, I guess the membership model is starting to look a bit more like a tech savvy membership or like an, an online membership community would look where there's different tiers and stuff. One of the things that strikes me is the increasing dues over time suggests that the value of membership would increase over time. How does that play out in practice? Well, we I think it plays out well, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the intent. I think the intent is to understand that at different points in your career, you may be able to afford more or less. We've mm. always had a sure. tiered approach depending on years of service. That's been the base. So we haven't really changed that, uh, but we're, it's reflective of that younger lawyers may not or 
government and public service lawyers may not be able to afford as much. And so we're trying to make this uh, membership as broad-based and open to everyone because we do believe very strongly that every lawyer in America should be a member of the American Bar Association. Yeah. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And then I want to talk more about where the membership strategy sits in the history of the ABA and its future and what that might look like. So we'll be back in a minute. With Text Expander, you can use gathered snippets of information as you type using a keyboard shortcut or custom abbreviations. Don't waste time typing out things you've already worded perfectly. Capture the important pieces of your emails, directions, messages, and data so you never have to retype them again. From correcting your personal typos and defining industry terms to whole email templates, reusing your info has never been faster and it works everywhere you type. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Lawyerist Podcast listeners can get 20% off their first year by visiting textexpander.com podcast. So visit textexpander.com podcast to learn more about Text Expander and claim your discount. How cool would it be to grow your practice in your chosen area of law without spending time or money on business development? Now you can with ARAG. ARAG is a leader in legal insurance, and it works a lot like medical insurance. When you become a provider on the ARAG network, you consult with and represent clients for various legal issues, from writing a will to dealing with bankruptcy or divorce. ARAG does the rest, seriously. They'll connect you with new clients, they'll pay you directly, they'll even collect client feedback and share it with you so you can keep growing your business. Visit araglegal.com slash lawyerist, that's A-R-A-G legal.com slash lawyerist, to join the network for no fee and start growing your practice. And it is all about the growth. In fact, more than 90% of ARAG members say they are more likely to consult with an attorney when something goes up than if they didn't have legal insurance. Check it out at araglegal.com slash lawyerist. That's A-R-A-G legal.com slash lawyerist. Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists, helping legal professionals like you deliver legendary service and grow your practice with live receptionist and chat services. At a fraction of the cost of a full-time hire, Ruby's live U.S.-based team greets your clients personally when they call or visit your website. Ruby can route calls to you or connect chats to call based on your customized directions. Your live receptionist can collect new client intake, answer frequently asked questions, and make follow-up calls. Ruby streamlines billing with call tracking and Clio Rocket Matter and Clio Grow integrations. Ruby can send messages to you via the mobile app, email, or text, and much more, helping you grow your firm. Thousands of solo and small firm attorneys across the country rely on Ruby to turn callers and website visitors into clients. And now you can try Ruby for free. Call 844-715-7829 today or visit callruby.com slash lawyeristpodcast to get started with your 14-day free trial. That's 844-715-7829 or callruby.com slash lawyeristpodcast. Okay, we're back. So, Bob, we teed up the, the new membership dues and benefits. And I'm curious, when Hillary and I talked last year, we started talking about the ABA's strategy because the reality is, let's not hide the ball here, that membership is declining in the ABA as it is in many state and local bar associations. And the new membership dues structure, the new benefits language uh, is a way of trying to reverse that. I suppose as we're sitting here today, we don't know how it's played out because everybody's just got their new invoices and, and it, it isn't clear yet if the new thing is working. But I mean, wh where do you hope things will be when I talk to your successor next year? Well, I, I hope that we have a significant increase or uptick in membership. Obviously, we want to keep the members that are currently 
dues-paying members and provide them increased value for their membership dollar. We're trying to make it simpler and easier not only to join but also to navigate your way around the association uh, and mm -hmm. also continue to spread the, the scope and breadth of the work that we do that touches not only lawyers' lives, it actually the work we do impacts the day-to-day -day life of every lawyer, but also the, that help us touch the lives of so many people who uh, need legal services, those that can afford it and most particularly those that can't. I mean, I think, I think the current strategy begs the question, which is what would it mean for the country and the practice of law in general if the ABA membership continued to decline, right? What, what would a much diminished ABA membership mean both for the ABA but for the practice of law in general? It's a thought exercise that you may not want to engage in, but I'm pretty curious about it. And I think we have to because that's a, is one of the possible outcomes here. Well, number one, we're positive that this strategy <laughs> is going to work. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, we we are trying to meet not only current members, but uh, prospective members where they live. We're trying to uh, provide them an experience uh, that helps them be a better lawyer and uh, a better professional and a better leader. And uh, so we're trying to make, uh, with the changes to our website, with the changes to the membership structure, we're trying to make the experience uh, modern and uh, user-friendly and user-oriented. So it's a member-oriented way of looking at things. What the world, the country would be without the ABA uh, or with a, a reduced ABA, that's not something I'm really thinking we need to <laughs> contemplate because I think we are going to make this succeed. But we do, as an association, we write the rules of professional conduct. So we, you would not have a uniform rule of professional conduct. We accredit law schools, so there would be some question about who's going to do that. Uh, we are the nonpartisan voice uh, that vets federal uh, judicial nominees. Uh, we uh, lobby for Legal Services Corporation. We lobby for efforts to reform criminal justice sentencing, to reauthorize the Violence Against Women's Act, to maintain public service loan forgiveness. We touch so many people's lives. This this association and what we do has so much scope and breadth that it is, uh, number one, failure is not an option here. It's too important to the country. Well, I mean, that's what I wanted to get at because like, yeah, because it's easy to look at, you know, the member benefits materials and critique that. But the reality is that the ABA as an institution plays an important role in our democracy, I think. And I, you know, that doesn't really play out on a on a chart of member benefits, but it seems to me that there it would be a lot of stuff to try and figure out who does it now if ABA funding really did just evaporate in a way that it couldn't do much more than serve up the, you know, the value of membership is only one piece of what the ABA is all about. Correct. Well, we think that the membership value component is not just the substantive benefits that we provide, but also right. the the benefit to the profession and to the justice system that we provide. We are the, if you will, the honest broker in the room. Our policies are based on people in our House of Delegates that get together twice a year. Every state is represented. 600 lawyers get together and they come from all walks of life, all political parties. They have... Uh, they're neither conservative nor liberal. We've got all of it. And when that body gets together and sets policy, it's reflective of 
where the justice system needs to go. So we are the fighters for diversity and inclusion. We are the fighters for uh, access to justice and the rule of law. This is what we do on a day in and day out basis, as well as train you and help you to be a better lawyer. On a related subject, I came across a tweet yesterday. I can't remember who said it, but it was in the nature of if lawyers don't like the idea of competing with non-lawyers, what do you think they're going to think about irrelevance? Which is a real thing that I think we are reluctant to face in this world. You know, we love to talk about the ABA, or the access to justice gap is 80%, but nobody is really talking about multiplying the number of lawyers willing to serve people who can't afford lawyers by five. The reality is closing the access to justice gap means closing it with non-lawyers. And I'm, I'm trying to think about, like, can you imagine a country where people don't automatically think about lawyers when they think about solving legal problems? What, like, that feels like a fundamental rework. And I'm not sure that the ABA is actually even contemplating that or our profession, but it seems to me like something we have to reckon with. Well, first of all, I... You're right. I can't imagine a country without people thinking about lawyers to assist them to solve their problems. You're also right that there is a significant uh, justice gap. The question is, how do we figure out a way uh, to meet that, utilizing not only the lawyers in the system and equipping them with better tools so that they can serve more people, uh, with encouraging them and giving them ways to provide pro bono assistance uh, with lobbying uh, for adequate funding of the Legal Services Corporation so that we can maximize those resources and multiply them geometrically uh, with our pro bono efforts, as well as looking at ways for technology to assist in a coordinated fashion, working with bar associations, working with state Supreme Courts to provide, for instance, online portals for uh, alternate dispute resolution or simplified ways for if you can't access a lawyer, either because you're too poor or you live in a remote area that doesn't get served. And so we're working on a number of ways that provides a coordinated effort between lawyers and technology to make sure that the fight is to continue to close that access to justice gap. I mean, I hear you, but the reality is that if we want to close the access to justice gap, we have to either scale lawyers up to five times their efficiency or increase the number of lawyers willing to do pro bono or low bono or low income work multiplied by five, that just doesn't seem realistic to me, does it? Well, I, I think it is uh, realistic. I think uh, while the encouragement and the model rules uh, suggest a certain number of pro bono hours need to be dedicated, we know that we don't get everybody. So mm -hmm. one of the things we need to do is to continue to work with our collaborators in the state and local bars to continue to assist people and show them ways that they can actually do uh, pro bono work. And that includes limited scope practice. That includes using tools such as ABA free legal answers. It's been a big help in uh, assisting people who are victims of disaster disaster, convincing Supreme Court justices when there is a disaster to sign the Katrina rule that will allow uh, non-barred lawyers to come in and do pro bono uh, work in their state or to do it on the phone lines. A lot of things uh, using technology that you can now do through the assistance and collaboration with programs started or improved by the ABA in working with our local and state partners to use technology to get to more people. 
So I think we do, we need to do more as lawyers and we can use technology to increase that ability. I mean, I think you're right that there's some leverage there, but also, I mean, pro bono isn't actually free, right? There are organizations that coordinate it and organize it and support it. And nobody's talking about even doubling the number of the funding for access to justice organizations like that, I don't think. It just feels like we're so far away from actually addressing this problem right now. But maybe I'm not plugged into the overall strategy coming from the ABA around addressing the access to justice gap. Well, we certainly think that we are trying to meet that need. We, we're trying to start uh, with innovative programs that law schools use with their law clinics to assist more people in, in the locality of the law schools. We're working with state and local bars to improve how they go about doing it to coordinate their efforts. We certainly partner with the Legal Services Corporation and the grantees, legal services from around the country to assist them in either getting additional funding or encouraging more lawyers to participate in pro bono efforts. So we're, uh, it may be a large gap, but we are fighting every day to try to close it. So there is a number of ABA and affiliated entities that work hard in that space every day. And we're trying to make sure that, uh, you know, technology is a component of that. Very cool. So I was pleasantly surprised to find out that last year's president, Hillary Bass, in January of this year, ended up retiring from her career as a big firm lawyer and starting an institute to work on diversity and inclusion within the profession. So I'm wondering, what's your plan after you leave office? Do you have similarly grand plans or are you going back to work? I uh, made a commitment to my law partner that I was going to go back to my law firm <laughs> and uh, practice law. And that's what I'm planning to do. I also live in a very beautiful part of the country. I'm planning to stay there for the foreseeable future, uh, have a wonderful wife and two really cool Portuguese water dogs. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see I'd like to see all three of them a little more. Let me uh, end with since you since you mentioned where you live, if somebody is visiting Montana, what's the one thing that might not occur to them to do while they're there that you think they should absolutely take the time to do? Well, uh, I'm assuming that if they're coming to Montana that they've already heard about Glacier Park or and Yellowstone, but if they uh, a, a real actual history experience is to come to Butte, Montana. We have a long history of mining, and it's a wonderful historic town. It's still we're still mining copper. We're still the richest hill on earth, hmm. and it's uh, the, you can't beat the hospitality and the friends you make as you travel through. And where do you, where's the first place you take visitors? Uh, if they come to Butte, yep. uh, the first place I would take them is, well, I don't want to do a commercial, but there's a, <laughs> there's, a there's a diner that does uh, deep fried pork chop sandwiches. They are a oh must. God, that sounds like my wife's dream. The other tradition <laughs> is pasties. So we get them to a local pasty shop. Very cool. Bob Carlson, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and walking us through the new ABA plan. And I look forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, oh, oh.